Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Wherever you're at, I want to welcome you today, and I am excited. I believe the message that God has put on my heart today is going to really lift you up in your faith. And I want to start again in Genesis chapter 1 with the fifth verse. It says, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So there was evening and there was morning on the first day. Now, did you notice it's evening and morning, or night and morning the first day? Because God's days begin in the evening. They begin at night. They begin in the darkness. They begin when you and I seem to be under a lot of circumstances, when things are not moving our way. God wants you to know that what he does is he takes darkness and he turns darkness into light that there's going to be a turnaround, there's going to be a breakthrough, that the curse is going to be reversed, there's going to be healing, there's going to be deliverance. I, I think about the Apostle Paul and those that were traveling with him, there's Silas, and, and uh, Paul has a, a vision in the night, literally a dream, and he sees a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. Well, they immediately get on a boat and they, they go over to Macedonia, they get there and they begin preaching. Now, it is a totally heathen city, and there is a woman who works there who is really, well, the Bible says she's a slave, and she's a fortune teller. In fact, the Bible says that what she has is a spirit of divination in the King James. In the Greek, it says she has a python spirit. Now, really, you can, can see the purpose and the tactics of the devil when you think about that. You know, what a python does is it, it wraps itself around its prey and, and it tries to crush its prey. Well, that is what Satan does, is he tries to wrap himself around you and tries to crush you. Well, as this girl is following them, Paul rebukes the spirit that's in the girl and he commands it to leave her. Well, once that spirit has left her, she no longer has a supernatural ability to attempt to tell fortunes. And the Bible says that the owners, they, they rile up the people and a mob was quickly formed against Paul and Silas. The judges ordered them stripped to be beaten with wooden whips. Again and again, the rod slapped down across their bare backs and afterward they were thrown in prison. The jailer was threatened with death if they escaped. Uh, it's interesting that they are right in the middle of the will of God. And right in the middle of the will of God, uh, they're beaten. They're, they're, they're thrown in prison. Uh, we tend to think, well, if I'm in God's will, everything's going to go well. Well, that is definitely not the truth. In fact, very often, I wonder if somebody has no opposition whatsoever, uh, what they're not doing. Because when you are right in the middle of the will of God, when you're building the kingdom of God, there is an enemy of your soul. Peter said that, that the devil that he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He says, your adversary, the devil. You know, if, if he's not trying to stop something you're doing, it may be that you're not doing anything to build the kingdom of God. So the jailer, he took no chances. He put them in the inner dungeon and clapped their feet in the stocks. Now, there they are. Their backs are bleeding. They're put in the stocks. I picture them there, their feet and their hands are in stocks. 
But the Bible says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. They made one mistake here. You know, they had their hands and feet bound. They had their backs bleeding. They had them on the inner dungeon. They had their feet, their hands, their back, but what they didn't have was their mouth. And therefore, they began to worship. They began to praise God. And when they did, things began to happen in the spirit realm. Because when we begin to praise God, things begin to happen. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, notice it's called the sacrifice of praise. And it's a sacrifice because... The circumstances are not what you want them to be. It can be a sacrifice when things look like they're upside down. But when they begin to, 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 to worship and praise God, the Bible says suddenly there's an earthquake and everybody's shackles were, were, were loosed. The doors in the prison opened. And when you and I begin to do that very thing in that nighttime season, the Bible says that it's midnight. And I'm sure it literally was midnight, but spiritually speaking, it was midnight. Everything looked dark, but they begin to praise God in the darkest times. That's why it's the sacrifice of praise. It's the fruit of our lips. We're giving thanks to his name. We're worshiping God. And when that happens, God shows up. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. Again, in Psalms 84, in verse 6. It says, they, as they passed through the valley of Baca. Now, the, the, the word Baca literally means crying or weeping. And, and notice that it says they pass through. It's not a place we're going to live forever. It's a place we're to pass through. It says they make it a spring. It doesn't say that God makes it a spring. It says they make it a spring. In other words, there's something that we do that brings God onto the scene, that brings the power of God, the Holy Spirit, the deliverance, the blessing, the favor of God on the scene. We may be passing through that valley of Baca, that place of weeping, that place where it looks like we've been forsaken. But what we do is we make it a spring. We begin to do what Paul and Silas did. We begin to worship God. We begin to thank God. And it brings God on the scene. It says the rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. There are things that we do that make it a spring, that make that, that time that seems so dark to be a spring. And one of those things is we look not at the things that are seen, but we look at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen, they're temporal. But the things that are not seen, they're eternal. We begin to look at the promises of God. We look at the word of God. We look at what God has done in the past because what he's done in the past is literally a, a precursor of what he's going to do again, what he wants to do in our life now. In dark times, in the rough times, it's easy to talk about how bad life is treating us. Perhaps, well, it's, it's actually believed by many to be the first book of the Bible that was actually written down. It's the book of Job. In this book, there's a man named Job who's a God-fearing man, and the devil attacks him. Now, he doesn't know it's the devil, but it is literally the devil who attacks him. And first, he attacks him financially. Then he attacks his family. 
Then he attacks him physically. And the Bible says that the devil smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And then literally his wife turns against him. And during this time, Job is going in and out of faith. I think that 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 could really be a picture of what happens to us sometimes, that we're, we're in faith and then we get out of faith and then we're in faith. We're looking at the word, but then we look at the circumstances and then we look at the word and we get in faith and we look at the circumstances and we get in doubt. You know, when Jesus was healing a certain boy, the father said to Jesus, he said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And sometimes we get in that spot where we're, we're believing and, and, and we're looking at the word and then we look at the circumstances and we get an unbelief and then we go back to the word. And, and that's what's really happening to Job. But when he's looking at his circumstances he, and he's focusing on the negative and he's exaggerating what's going on, uh, he gets so discouraged He feels like God is picking on him, that he's abandoned, that he's forgotten, that he's being being judged wrongly. In fact, listen, this is what he said at one point. He said, for he, God, has set me up as his target. His archers surround me. He pierces my heart and does not pity. He pours out my gall on the ground. And what he's doing is he's just looking at circumstances. He's not looking at what the things that God has done. And and unfortunately, in his case, he couldn't look at the word. He couldn't open his Bible in the book of James to James chapter one, where it says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the father of light in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He literally thought the things that Satan was doing, God was doing. And and he gets depressed. He's defeated. in fact, at one point in his, in his unbelief, he, he thinks God's his enemy. Uh, he, he's, he, well, let me just say, here's, here's what he said. He said, it's all one thing. Therefore, he, that's God, destroys the blameless with the wicked. If the scourge or the plague slays suddenly, if the COVID shows up, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. The earth is given into the hands of the wicked. He covers the faces of the judges. If it is not he, who else could it be? If it's not him, who else could it be? Uh, 35 years ago, a little longer even, uh, Jeannie and I were living in Mexico and I was teaching in a Bible college. And I had a course that I taught in the book of Job. It was assigned to me and I wasn't excited when they assigned Job to me for a semester. But... uh, this was one of the verses that, that so jumped out at me. In the Spanish Bible, it says, Si no es el, quien es y donde está? If it's not him, if it's not the devil, if it's not God, he's saying, if it's not him, where is he and who is he? Well, the truth is, it's not God. It's the devil. And where is he? Peter said, he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's going back and forth. He's looking for somebody. And who is it? It is the devil that was the enemy. But he didn't know that. And then finally, in the, in the, in the end of the book, God shows up and talks to Job. And he gets out of that place of unbelief into a place of faith. And the Bible tells us that what God does at that time is God turns the captivity of Job. Let me give you one of, of, of his responses. When he got out of unbelief, And he got into faith as he's in the middle of this turmoil. He says, for I know 
that my Redeemer lives. And he, Jesus, will stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I will see God, whom I will see for myself, and my eyes will behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. What a great statement of faith. But there were times he was in faith. There were times he went out of faith. And and what you and I need to recognize is that the devil will try to get us into that place, out of faith, into that place of unbelief. But what Job did at the right time, he began to speak. He began to say things. And when the problems come, you and I need to begin to say something. The Bible says in Romans 8, but what shall we then say to these things? When trouble shows up, we need to say something. Jesus said, for verily I say unto you that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things that he says will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Jesus said, you need to speak to that mountain. You see, unbelief is talking about the mountain. It talks about how long we've had it, how much it costs, how much it hurts, how it's been in the family, all the damage that it's done. But when we aren't supposed to talk about the mountain, we're supposed to talk to the mountain, the mountain of sickness and disease and addiction, financial obstacles, whatever that mountain is, Jesus said, speak to that mountain. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, this needs to be our faith attitude. If God is for us, who could be against us? But you might say, but you don't know what the doctor has said. You don't know what the banker has said. You don't know the prejudice that I face. You don't know the depression that I've gone through. You don't know what the devil's done. You don't know the curse that's on my life. Do you know what? Paul answered every one of those when he said this, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, in Romans 10, verse 8, it says, but what does it say? What does faith say? It says, the word is near you, it's in your mouth, and it's in your heart, even the word of faith, which we preach. That word, it's near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You see, we need to keep the word in our heart and then what we say with our mouth, because out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth is going to speak. You see, David faced so many different obstacles. We can begin with the giant, Goliath, but that wasn't the only one. Over 10 times he was in battles, fighting different nations, uh, uh, problems inside the government with turmoil, uh, political, p- political problems are not new. David had them. See, but what David said was this. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Here's what he knew. He knew that because he loved God, it did not mean there would be no problems. He said, I love God, but I will pass through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, but I'm not going to fear any evil because you are with me. You see, you may not know, you may not feel that God's with you, but he is with you. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He said, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
And then surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He did not say that because he'd never had any problems. He'd passed through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, whatever I am afraid, when I ever get out of faith, he said, I will trust in you. I'm going to get back where I'm believing in you. In Psalms 91, he said, I will say of the Lord. Now, what are you and I saying about the Lord? Are we saying he's our deliverer, he's our helper, he's our standby, that he's our strength, that he's our deliverer, that he's our healer, he's our provider? What are we saying? David said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. And remember, he said, whenever I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. And then David begins to talk about you and me. Now, he said, this is what I'm doing. But now he begins to make statements about us. He says, surely he, God, will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence, from the COVID-19. You shall not be afraid of terror by night, nor arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks at noonday or the destruction that lays waste. And then he goes on in verse 10, no evil will befall you. Neither shall any plague, any COVID come near your dwelling. Verse 13, you'll tread upon the lion, the cobra, the young lion, the serpent, you'll trample underfoot. And by the way, when he's talking here about the lion and the cobra, about the serpent, he's talking about Satan, about demon power. And let me just say something here. This is one of the most interesting songs because David starts out, he says, I will say. But then he begins to talk about you, what God's going to do for you. And listen, literally, it's like God gets excited. David's writing this down and God gets excited. And listen to what happens in verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, all of a sudden God takes over right in the middle of what David is confessing about God and what David is saying about you and me and what God wants to do in our lives. All of a sudden God takes over and God says, because he set his love upon me, it's not David talking his declaration. It's not David talking about what God's going to do for us. It's God talking. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he's known my name. He'll call upon me. I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him. I'll honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And I want to say this again, because so many of us right now, we're going through so much turmoil. Uh, many people are out of work. Uh, many people that could work, you can't work. You're, you're at home with your kids. Uh, you're trying to do school. There's so much extra tension going on. But realize that no matter what your circumstances are, we know, not we hope, not we think, not maybe, the Bible says we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to to his purpose. You see, Joseph, I, mean, I think this is just a great example. Joseph is, is uh, the 10th, of, excuse me, he's the 11th of 12 kids. His older brothers really do not like him. His father is, is, has four wives and he's from the, 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 the wife that his father loved the most who has died. They hate him and they end up selling him as a slave. They beat him up, throw him in a pit and sell him. And he, he's taken down to Egypt where he's sold as a slave. And he, he begins to work for a man named Potiphar, whose life, wife lies about him and has him thrown into prison. In prison, 
He, he's, he's forgotten. It seems like nothing is happening. But God is working. It looks dark. It looks like he's forgotten. It looks like he's done the right thing, but everything has turned out wrong. And he's in that prison. He's bringing some, some food to a couple of prisoners, and, and they look depressed. And, and he says, he said, what's wrong? And they said, we've had dreams, and we don't know what to do. He says, tell me the dreams, because interpretations belong to God. He interprets their dream. The one man is restored to his position as the king's cupbearer, as he interprets the dream. The man forgets about Joseph until Pharaoh has a dream two years later. And he remembers and has Joseph brought before Pharaoh, where he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he's promoted. He says there's going to be a famine. There's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine like Egypt has never seen. And during this time of plenty, store up so that you're going to have for the famine. The famine hits. His brothers come. He's revealed to his brothers. And he says, don't you see? You planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. You planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. And I don't know what people, what circumstances, what the devil has come against you with. But I do know this, that what God did in the life of Joseph is what he does in your life and in my life. No matter what the plans are that the devil has, God will take and use that situation that you're in, and he will turn it around for good. Daniel is an is a, a Israelite who's, who's in captivity, who is part of the Babylonian, serving the Babylonian empire. And a law is passed. You can only pray to the king, but he goes home and he prays to God again. And he gets thrown into a lion's den. Now, it looks bad. But God sent an angel who shut the lion's mouth. And he is brought out of that lion's den. His enemies are thrown into the den. And the Bible says their bones are broken before they even hit the bottom of the den. I remember listening to Marilyn Hickey years ago. She said they were defeated before they hit the bottom. And that, that may be very, very possible. But the plan that the devil meant for evil, God turned around for good. A few chapters later in the book of Daniel, we find that the king has set up an image and says to everybody, bow down and worship this image that I've set up. But Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to bow. So the king takes them and has them thrown into a fiery furnace. And as he's, he's watching and his counselors and leaders are with him, thinking they're going to see these men scream and die. He looks in there and he sees those men and they're free and they're walking around and he calls his counselors and he says, didn't we throw three men into the fire? And they said, yes, king. And he says, but I see four. And the fourth one looks like the son of God. And it was Jesus himself came right down in the midst of their fiery furnace. And he delivered them and they brought them out. And the Bible says they, are, they had suffered no harm. Their clothes were not burned. Their hair was not singed. And there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their bodies. What the devil meant for evil, God turned around for good. I believe one of God's great joys 
is catching the devil in his own trap. The things that he means for evil, God turns those very same things around and those things become what God uses to promote us, to bring us to the place that he wants us to be in. What shall we then say to these things? When we find ourselves in those circumstances, when the doctor says that there's a bad report, well, we believe a different report. I believe what God spoke in Jeremiah 30. He said, I will restore you to health and I will heal all of your wounds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, For all the promises of God in him are yes. All the promises of God in him are yes. Do you know where you are? You're in him. If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creature. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. You're in union with him. And in him, the Bible says, amen to the glory of God by us. So all the promises of God are yes and amen. You look at that promise, you say yes. God looks at that promise and says, amen, so be it. That's what amen means. It means simply, so be it. Uh, I was reading the the, uh, translator's New Testament. Oh, excuse me. It's the Passion New Testament. I just got a copy and I thought, I'm going to read the New Testament through in the Passion Translation. And and this past week, I came across a few verses that talk about the promises of God. It says, we receive all the promises because of the promised one. You say, all of those promises, but they weren't given to me. Yeah, but because of the promised one, because of Jesus, every one of those promises belong to you. It says, We receive all the promises because of the promised one, not because we kept the law. It's not because we were perfect that the promises belong to us. It's because of Jesus that the promises belong to us. Galatians 3.19, you are now Abraham's children and inherit all the promises of the kingdom realm. What promises belong to you? All the promises. In Peter, they're called exceeding great and precious promises. You know, they tell us, I've read this, that there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. All of them belong to you. All of them are yes and amen. In Galatians 4.18, it says, dear friends, just like Isaac, you're now the true children who inherit the kingdom promises. You are the true children who inherit the kingdom promises. I was reading a, a, a book, his newest book by Mark Batterson, called The Double Blessing, again, this week. And uh, it said this. He said, I recognize this promise was given to Jewish refugees living in the fifth century. God said, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to give you a future, to give you a hope, to do you good and not evil. And, And he's writing about that. He says, I know it was spoken to some people in the fifth century. He said, but it also belongs to us. Why? Because the God who made the promise is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because the Bible says every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. And because no matter how many of the promises God has made, the Bible says they are yes in Christ. Yes, they're for you. Now, the night that you're going through is temporary. The Bible says that weeping may endure for the night, but joy, joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for the night. It's not that you're never going to go through a tough set of circumstances. 
a lost one might die. You might have gone through a breakup. There, 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 there might be a bad report you've received from a doctor. You might have some very, very hard, difficult situations financially that you're going through. Maybe you just haven't met the right person yet. And, and there's weeping, but it's temporary. It is temporary. And I want you to remember that what you're saying, what you're believing, those things make a huge, huge difference. The Bible says, but the word is near you. The word of faith. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. So I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at, what your circumstances are, I want you to keep on magnifying God with thanksgiving. Talk about his mercy. Talk about his love. Talk about his greatness. Talk about the things he's done. Talk about his favor. Talk about his timing. Listen, Isaiah 30 in verse 18. I want to close with this. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious or merciful to you. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be merciful to you. And therefore, he will be exalted. Now, remember Philippians 2 says that because Jesus humbled himself, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was exalted. He was exalted when he defeated the devil, when he paid for your and my sin, when he arose from the dead, he was exalted. He took a a seat at God's right hand. Therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. He was exalted. He is at the right hand of God now that he may have mercy on you. Let me say this. There's healing mercy. There's delivering mercy. There's a mercy of God breaking addictions. And there is a saving mercy. But he was exalted to have mercy on you. God is not in heaven wanting to whack you the second you get out of line with a, some sort of a divine fly swatter. No, Jesus is there at the right hand of God, exalted that he may have mercy on you. It may be dark, but listen, that darkness is going to turn into light. You see, what, what happens, you, you may say, I just see darkness, but I see morning. I see the light. I see a breakthrough. I see deliverance. I see provision. I see healing. I see an addiction just melt away. The Bible says that the mountains melt at the presence of the Lord. And I believe right now that there's addictions that are being melted away. I believe that walls that are being built during this time between a husband and a wife between a, a mother and a daughter, that right now the Spirit of God comes and he melts those things away. It may look dark, but we don't look at the things that are seen. We look at the things that are not seen because what's seen is temporary, but what's not seen is eternal. And I believe the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is right now bringing deliverance, bringing healing, melting walls that have been built up in people's lives. It may have looked dark, but let me just say right now, I believe, just like Elijah said, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. I hear the sound of abundance of deliverance, of restoration, of healing, and of provision in Jesus' name. I'd like everyone, please, if you can, wherever you're at, would you please just bow your head for just a moment? 
Now, wherever you're in, in a group, there's literally there's thousands and thousands of people watching right now. And thousands and thousands more are going to watch later. But wherever you're at, if you're not where you should be with God, I want you to listen very carefully. You say, what does God want me to do? He wants you to do two things. The first is this. He wants you to surrender your life to Jesus. Just say, God, I give up and I give Jesus my life. I make him my Lord. I make him my king. And he wants you to turn your back on your old life. The Bible calls that repentance. When Jesus came, that was his message. He says, repent. Turn your back on your old life. He said, because the kingdom of God is now. Now, if you're not right with God, you're away from God. You, you, you lived for him, but you're not living for him now. Or it may simply be you've, you've never turned your life over to Jesus, or you don't know where you stand with God. I want you to pray this prayer right now. Out loud, from your heart, make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe Jesus' blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you that you have heard my prayer. I receive the forgiveness Jesus purchased for me. And I thank you. My past is gone. I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.